2: Hey, everyone. Welcome to Real Vision Crypto. Enjoy today's show.
1: Hello. Welcome to Real Vision vs. Defiant, our weekly take on the big stories that are going on in the news. And this week, I don't have one of my enormously long-winded intros because my hand, like a monkey, was firmly in the cookie jar of the Border Yacht Club and the imminent launch of Other Sides. So we will get straight down to business. Welcome Ash Bennington, welcome Camilla Russo once again to discuss the hot stories. Camilla, I want to go to you first. Elon Musk dominating the conversation. What do you make of this story? Is it actually going to happen? That's the question.
0: It looks like it's it's going to happen. I think it's a done deal. I don't know if uh, what else is is kind of um, you know if, if we we need to wait for final approvals or so on. But it looks like Twitter is accepting uh, his 44 billion bid to buy the company, which is crazy. Like like when he first when the announcement first came out, a lot of people just thought this was a bluff or he was joking or. You know um th- there was this um the the bid was for 54.2 uh, a share so it looked like a-, a bit of you know a bit of a joke but he he was serious um and it looks like it's happening twitter stock is up and um a- funnily enough uh, dogecoin was up as well um i I just got a a pr pitch yesterday saying um google searches for how to buy dogecoin spiked at the same time that elon musk made made the bid for twitter so uh, i don't know that's just you know doge being doge attached to elon (laughs) um but i think like the the bigger picture here is the reason why uh, Elon said he's buying Twitter. Um, And it's about free speech. So he sent a letter and he said, um, I want to make Twitter uh, a a better platform uh, where there is less uh, censorship, uh, less restrictions on what people can and can't say. Um, And he wants to champion free speech. And this kind of unleashed this flood of, obviously, debate on the platform itself um, from, you know, people who supported um, his his stance, people against it, saying, well, you know, free speech is great, but it needs to be limited because there is um, a lot of misinformation happening. There's hate speech. Uh, so there, there's this sense of... Uh, you can't have, you can't be tolerant to intolerance. is kind of this um, uh, way of, uh, of counter-arguing what Elon Musk is saying. And then there's this third argument which says, okay, um, free speech is great. Like uh, We want more free speech on Twitter, but the fact that there's a billionaire owning a a huge communications platform is problematic. Maybe something um, as, as big as Twitter should be controlled by, ideally, um, it should be a protocol. It should be more decentralized. It shouldn't be owned by uh, a single person. So I think like those are the main uh, three takes I've seen on this.
2: Ash, how did you see this one? Yeah, I I think uh, Kami, as usual, is spot on here. It does appear that it's going to go through. I suppose there could be some sort of regulatory uh, rejection, but that seems relatively unlikely here. Uh, The bid has been accepted by Twitter, so it looks like we're moving forward. Look, I think this is incredibly interesting. Uh, You know, Twitter uh, has, I'm a big fan of the platform, uh, but it has sort of stagnated somewhat from a feature's perspective. And there are these really interesting questions about free speech. Uh, you know, Cammie sort of points out this idea uh, of the debate that's happening, and it's 2022. So like everything else, it's highly politicized. Um, but look, I think there's a really distinct uh, difference between uh, harassment on the one hand and open uh, platforms for the free exchange of ideas. Look, you could get arrested Uh, for harassment in 1987. Uh, No one is arguing that the kind of uh, really egregious harassment should be permitted to go on. But look, we have to be honest, uh, Twitter has had some challenges with this in the past. Uh, They censored one of the largest newspapers in the country, the New York Post, uh, over a story uh, about Hunter Biden's laptop. Now, look, you may not care about the Hunter Biden laptop story. I don't really care about the Hunter Biden laptop story. The New York Post may not be your cup of tea. But look, the reality is it's a very dangerous precedent to have platforms banning uh, reputable news organizations. It turns out that story now is being covered by the Washington Post. Twitter later rescinded uh, the New York Post's ban on the platform. But these are the kinds of questions that folks uh, have uh, about at least uh, the the way that that was being enforced in the past. Moving forward, uh, it may be different. Look, the reality is this argument may be politicized, but I have to tell you, um, no matter which side of the political spectrum you're on, whether you're a conservative or a progressive, uh, I think it's reasonable to be concerned about the idea uh, that reputable news outlets are getting censored on Twitter. Uh, and so it's going to be interesting to see what happens next. Obviously, the devil is in the details. I think Musk is saying all of the right things uh, again, but the challenge becomes execution. And once you find yourself uh, holding the car keys for the platform, uh, it's probably going to be more challenging uh, than it appears from a distance.
1: I think one of the big ideas here is how much is a platform responsible for the content on it? And how much should the individual be responsible for the content that they consume? And that, it really is the debate at the heart of all of this.
2: Yeah. Robin, do you think there's a distinction to be made, you know, between, um, you know, death threats on the one hand and then publishing news stories that you don't like on the other. And to me, those things are getting conflated together in this argument.
1: Yes, absolutely. And that, that, that really is the challenge for any protocol to say, yes, we're decentralized, any platform to say we support free speech. What is free speech? Donald Trump has said, no, I'm not coming back to Twitter because I'm on Truth Social and that's my platform and I'm staying there. I, I, I don't know how you do this. What I do know is that it, it's quite possible that we'll see Dogecoin become the official coin of Twitter. Um, hey, Robin, one note,
2: <laughs> Truth Social is built on Mastodon, uh, which, of course, is an open source uh, Twitter alternative. Really interesting, I think, just from a technical perspective, whatever you think of the politics.
1: Uh, uh, absolutely.
2: Oh, that's and the
0: other it- thing to point out. Elon Musk said, uh, like, one of the main things he plans to do is open source uh, the Twitter log- algorithm and, and code. So I, I thought that that was kind of an interesting piece to this yeah. as well.
1: Yeah, there have been attempts to create a decentralized social media um, and one of the key things is is open sourcing the social graph so you can see exactly what's going on and you can see how filter bubbles form and then do something different with them i think it's going to be really interesting the other interesting part of this is that um one of the kind of great pantomime villains of the crypto space justin sun As he wants to do, thrust himself firmly into the spotlight by offering to outbid Elon Musk to buy Twitter at $60 a share. Uh, Justin Sun, who now goes by the moniker, his excellence, because he is a plenipotentiary for Grenada. He's a, an emissary to the World Trade Organization resident in Grenada. Ah, I wonder why he did that. Mm. Uh, and he attempted to, to outbid Elon but in the process, he's also trying to launch a stablecoin. And I, I, did you catch that story, uh, Cami? How Justin Sun is is doing this decentralized algorithmic stablecoin called USDD.
0: USDD, of course. Um, well, it's actually yeah. it's actually
1: D, but it's USDD. USDD. Yeah.
0: Yeah, USDD. Uh, I think you know, like. On, on just like taking his uh, plans at, at face value, they are interesting, right? They, it's a plan to create an algorithmic stablecoin um, based on um, TRX or backed by TRX, I, I should say. That's the, the Tron blockchain's native um, cryptocurrency. Um, and, you know, it, it's this attempt at having a self sovereign stablecoin for the Tron blockchain. Um, and you know, it, it it raised some eyebrows because it's how it works. It's pretty close, or 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 even maybe identical to uh, to how the um, uh, UST, the, the Terra stablecoin works. You know, it's ter- uh, UST is backed by Luna, USDD is is backed by TRX. Um, it works in this uh, mint and, and burn mechanism um, to hold the one dollar peg. It's pretty much, you know, copy paste, uh, which is kind of a Justin Tran's modus operandi. Like it's how he works. It, it's it's you know become an ongoing joke on how he just like blatantly copies everything. Um, but you know, it's uh, I, I was. Um, It was interesting to see Do Kwan's uh, uh, Teraq co-founder, or founder, I should say, um, his response to this. And he was like all for it. He was like, you know what? Um, the the more our algorithmic stablecoins there are, the more self sovereign stablecoins for each blockchain there are, um, the better it is for for UST. Like it, it just le- uh, le- legitimizes this um, this method, this way of of building stablecoins. So that was an interesting take. Um, yeah, we'll see. I think you know people were also calling for for Justin. Um, son to add uh, Bitcoin as as a reserve in the same way that uh, UST uh, has done. Um, so, yeah, maybe, I don't know, like maybe it works out and it's a way to legitimize algorithmic stablecoins, but I don't know if like Justin, Justin Sun's involvement in anything has served to legitimize things. <laughs> we'll see how, how it plays out.
1: There is a fascinating Verge article all about Justin that I recommend everyone read because... If, if any of it's true, holy moly. Uh, Ash, I saw you smiling as I I was setting this one up. What's
2: your take? You know, of all the sort of many subtopics we have in digital assets and crypto, uh, algorithmic stablecoins may be the one that I'm most naturally, biologically almost skeptical about, Uh, which isn't to say that it can't work. I just get a little bit skeptical when I hear, uh, you know, the terminology that gets employed. You hear about things like, um, you know, flexible supply and burning and minting. Um, For anyone who knows a little bit about the history uh, of traditional currency pegs uh, and how traditional currency pegs have broken in the past, I think i have that sort of residual concern i know cami knows about this from covering emerging markets uh this is something that we've seen uh before in the non-decentralized world and it's been challenging not to say that we're not going to figure out how to do it but i think there are real constraints around it and i think there are significant challenges you know and ultimately whenever i hear about an algorithmic stablecoin you know they are obviously they're exciting the technology is really cool but i guess the, the most definitive thing that I would be comfortable saying is very, 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 very early. Well, it's interesting. There's, there's so many talking points here.
1: The You talked about the peg here. Luna and UST actually broke uh, in spring of last year. And, and the way they broke was that Luna suffered a catastrophic loss in value. And everyone was trying to escape back to UST. So you burn the, the Luna and you get UST. But the redemptions were only able to manage, I think it was $20 million, had a two percent spread, and the system simply couldn't handle it, and so the UST peg broke. They actually retooled the system, but this is hard coded into the contract. So you, if it happens in real time, you can't do anything about it. They have retooled that now. Nowhere on this Tron USDD do I see anything about that. Um, what I do see though is the promise of a thirty percent fixed rate of interest on stablecoin deposits. So Anch- Anchor Protocol is the big kind of headline marquee act on the Terra network. fixed rate of interest on stablecoin deposits paid out in stablecoins. This is monster if you're a whale and you just want to park safe capital in this this protocol. Justin Sun is attempting to create what I guess is an introductory offer of 30% on stablecoins. You just imagine having money parked in your bank paying out 30%. Now, obviously, this is not sustainable. He's put together a $10 billion reserve of what he calls highly liquid assets raised from initiators of the blockchain industry. Nowhere is it said who these people are. How can we trust them? Do we know where is this reserve? No transparency whatsoever. And yet he calls this the most decentralized stablecoin in history. There's so much BS floating around this, so much just in speak, that it's hard to know where to look. On the Do Kwon um, angle on this, Do has become highly politicized himself in recent weeks, acting against MakerDAO. He said, die mm-hmm. will die by my hand. And so what I think is going on here is he's co-opting other stablecoin providers to create stronger and stronger pools of alternative stablecoins that will drain liquidity from the Dai pool and eventually kill MakerDAO. That's it's just it's full on soap opera. But that is why I think Goquan is is in at least in public quite kind of friendly towards Tron. Uh, and if Tron fails, then it will just prove that UST is the better product anyway. So much going on here, and it, it's it's this classic Justin, just wading in trying to insert his face into the, into the conversation wherever he can. I mean, you got to love it. Like we, we, we lack pantomime villains at the moment. They all kind of disappeared, but
2: Justin is still
1: there doing his thing.
2: Robin, you have so, a mustache for it.
1: I have a mustache for it. Well, you know, when, when November <laughs> rolls around, I, I will step in and, and, and be that role. Um, you know, I'll start wearing smoking jackets and, and holding a cat. We'll, we'll do that. You heard it here first. Should we move on to our next story? Um, we were talking about proof last week and it seems that a whole bunch of new liquidity has entered our favorite NFT market um, some entities have been soaring others have been absolutely spanked to the floor but Cami with a week's kind of rest to, to look more closely at this I know there's th- some interesting news around Mr. Carson and proof but have you had a chance to, to look further and think about this one
0: you know about like moonbirds and, yeah. uh, and like just yeah um it's you know to me it's it's still so surprising how these projects are 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 taking off uh, raking in millions and millions um, in sales um and, and just like bringing the entire nFT market uh, up uh, with them. So um let's see uh, they're you know like, NFT like volumes are still holding up amid amid this bear market in in uh, in just like in the general uh, uh, cryptocurrency space. Um, in April, uh, there was a 17.6 billion in sales volume in the NFT market um, and. This was down a bit from March, from which were, uh, which had twenty billion in volume, but it's it's a pretty kind of small dip um, if you just like consider the context of things where the entire market is is diving. Um, so I think, you know, it's it's just like a really strong performance still for NFTs and it is being driven by uh, projects like uh, Moonbirds, um, probably like Acutars is probably, you know, they'll, they'll drive more volume and, and, and more sales to the market. Um, and you know meanwhile you see things like uh, ryan carson uh, one of the um, the founders or, or, or i guess like uh, operators uh, behind uh, moonbirds leave the project um pretty much you know just like about a, about a week after after it was launched um so it's it's just like for me the, the nft market is is very hard to make sense of it it seems like very irrational um just like these huge uh, sales uh, like floor spiking i think like moonbirds had over like ETH floor at some point um i don't know where, where it is at, at this moment but um and and remember like we talked about last week, this was because of the people that were backing it. And then like one of the main backers, uh, you know, leaves the project uh, a week later. So I don't know. Um, it's, a, it's just a little bit kind of uh, befuddling, I guess.
1: So Cami, there's basically a stratification of NFT buyers. There are the, the lower level retail who try to buy the cheap ones and then flip them and, and get their way up. And then there are the the kind of, what I would call art-loving whales who are still clinging onto to their one-of-ones from the super rare nifty gateway days who are hoping for a return of the good times in the art market, but are also buying NFTs of a certain size, but one of them to bank and keep it for, for another time. And then there are just the, the aggressive sharks who just buy up, you know, a hundred of a project and then flip them really fast. What's interesting though, is this the way the the volume has kind of focused in on particular projects, like Proof, just sucked all the liquidity out of the market. And now we're seeing ApeCoin and Board Apes and that whole ecosystem sucking the liquidity out of the market. And it's just destroying all the mid and lower tier projects, apart from a handful. So it's really, it's really a kind of asymmetric uh, volume mm. profile at the moment, which is, which is why it, on the, the, the raw numbers look good, but actually the, the spread and the distribution is, is not so good.
0: If, if I can be a little bit kind of um, self-promotional here, <laughs> um, I, yeah, to me, it's just like, I, I see all these like projects uh, taking off with not much substance there. Um, and, you know, I I have this like, also, like my own NFT project with the Infinite Machine Movie, uh, which uh, we're trying to fund with NFTs. Uh, we announced uh, that Ridley Scott and his Scott Free production company uh, will be co-producing uh, the movie. Um, and you know, of, of course I'm extremely biased. Like this is the project I'm leading. Uh, but for me, like the Infinite Machine Collection is like a beautiful nft project like it's funding something real tangible um a big hollywood film about the story of ethereum it has 36 artists from emerging countries coming together to make the art uh, there's uh, royalties going to these artists and to the community uh, and, and that's kind of fixed in the smart contracts in perpetuity uh so it, you know for me it's like we try to make it like really legit. Um, and it's good, you know, it's it's hanging in there. Uh, it's not doing badly, um, but nothing like the 30 e th- floors that something like pixelated birds fetch. So to me, there's like a disconnect between kind of what's real, what's not real, what's hype uh, and what's not. And to me, it's like, honestly, a shame. Like NFTs are such an important primitive, like, and I don't like that word, but just like tool um basic tool for for the crypto ecosystem and right now it's just being inflated to death like by all these like hype projects
2: I'm super interested to see anything that cami is working on because she watches the entire space uh watches everyone else's missteps uh and successes so I'm super curious to see <laughs> what's going in uh, to this NFT
1: well, it, it's significant because as, as a filmmaker, I grew up watching the films of Ridley Scott. I, I, I know every film he made between like nineteen seventy seven and nineteen ninety five, like like off the back of my hand, you know. Like I, like Ridley Scott is the OG of OGs. He's he's incredible, and he's still kicking ass at like, you know, well into his. It's like nearly eighty, I think. Um, amazing, yeah. Cammy. Congratulations, Ridley Scott RSA. That's thank That's, you. that's legit it's genuinely legit and speaking of things that are also legit, I'll bring up my, my Aku again, like I, I was waxing lyrical about Michael Johnson and Akutas, and I think we all agree mm. that this is an honourable human being that's trying to do something really meaningful and different and it got screwed up so bad, so bad we'll just put a number out there, 34 million dollars, gone can you take us mm. through this one Cami?
0: Yeah, I think, of course, like $34 million gone, that's terrible. But to me, what makes it a bit worse is that it could have been avoided. Um, So what happened here is that, uh, uh, you know, the the, the AccuTars project, we've um, covered this before, but it's it's a really beautiful project by um, Micah Johnson, uh, this Major League Baseball player uh, who has this character about um uh, a, a kid that wants to be an astronaut and uh, and and this like really cute uh, uh nfts linked to them um it's they're just lovely they're beautiful uh art uh, pieces of art um and so there was a, uh, a um a mint happening um, where fifteen thousand of these uh, of these characters uh, were, were were being created. Um, in the lead up to this, somebody from the the community alerted to a potential exploit in the code, and the team looked into it and said um, everything was fine uh, and kind of dismissed it. Said no, you know, there's um, there's safeguards around this. Like everything's gonna be okay. Um, and you know it wasn't. Uh, and the, that same uh, piece of code that uh, this community member alerted to was in fact exploited. And the the hacker, I think, didn't actually mean to um, to lock thirty-four million dollars in in the contracts. Uh, so it, th- this word is a bit confusing. So the, the hacker kind of exploited the 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 um you know the fault in in the code, uh, thirty four million was locked, and then he was like, if the Acutard uh, team admits its mistake and and admits that there there was an exploit, then I will unlock um or you know unlock the the hack, um and so th- they did, but then he wasn't able to uh, to fix uh, the problem. Um, in the end, uh, you know the, the project did go through there, there, the mint happened anyways. Uh, the fifteen thousand um got uh, dropped to, to holders. and um I think some some uh, buyers are being refunded. So you know, it has like a semi, okay um, ending, but I think, you know, like main lessons from this is projects really need to listen to their community. Uh, More importantly, I think, you know, we've talked about this before, just how critical it is to have bug bounties um, and really kind of healthy, uh, large bounties, uh, incentivizing um, uh, white hat hackers. Uh, or non-malicious hackers to look at the code, figure out if there's an exploit um, before uh, deploying uh, a contract. You know, this on top of audits, of course, which I don't think um, this, this code had uh, either. So, you know, just it, it, uh, one, one more hack to, to show that you really need to be very extremely careful uh, in this space because a lot of money is on the line.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a painful one. This one because it's a project that I think everyone was rooting for and wanted to do well. The the exploit itself, the hacker exploited it and then unlocked it. It was another fault that actually locked the ETH in the contract, and it can never be recovered. Mm -hmm. It's not like you can go in and figure something out and then get it out. No, it's gone. It will never come back. And and the refunds. So it was a it was a descending Dutch auction, uh, what they call a true Dutch auction. So the price descends, and you you commit a bid at a certain price, the lowest bid would then be the price that you paid. So there was a refund mechanism in place. And all of that is actually fantastic. It was just executed really, really, really badly. And I think you're right, Cami. When you're in that critical go, no-go situation, no-go, as bad as it looks, delaying is the right call, even if you're kind of 99% sure. Uh, What happened after that was that they completely recoded the airdrop contract uh there was someone from a completely other team that did it for free in twenty four hours, completely ar- architected it from scratch. and it went very, very smoothly. But yeah, it sucks. It really yeah. sucks,
2: yeah. and I think it's you know it's especially painful, I think, because Micah is one of the genuinely best uh, respected and most liked people uh, in the space. And it's uh, you know your heart goes out to him when you see a project like this. Look, I think, you know, Cammy made some uh, important points, uh, particularly around code audits and bug bounties. But this just speaks to this sort of the general level of overall um, developmental maturity in the space and how these things get done. I think that what we are going to see uh, in the future uh, is going to be some of these best practices becoming more standard and a, and a mechanism in place to evaluate them. So, you know, this is something that we have some experience with Uh, in the open-source software development side, and even indeed on on the uh, closed-source software development side, where you see things like APIs where there are bug bounties. But the reality is uh, that this represents a shift in the way uh, that people are going to need to think about these things. Things like code reuse, code audits, automated testing, bug bounties. To people who are software engineers, these are terms, uh, they're all very familiar. Uh, but finding a way to bring these best practices into our space uh, in a way that they can be consistently evaluated uh, and that there can be transparency, ultimately, uh, for the people who are the consumers uh, of the products, meaning the people who are buying the NFT, so you understand uh, what you're investing in is something that is going to be, uh, you know, I think, absolutely critical to making this mis- uh, space more mature, secure, and trusted. But it takes time to get there. This is a, a culture of evolution. Uh, and I suspect, unfortunately, that this isn't the last conversation we're going to be having uh, about this type of exploit.
1: Yes, well, the, the good thing is that it probably won't take that long to make back $34 million in secondary sales um, on a collection of 15000 So there's a silver lining there. At Evernorth Health Services... Uh, But another silver lining that we wanted to talk about was uh, its airdrop season. It might well soon be Layer 2 airdrop season with one of the kind of most hyped Layer 2's optimism, launching a retroactive drop with its OP token. Cami, I know you were keen to talk about this one.
0: Yeah, um, you know, I I think uh, it's it's interesting to see... um, airdrops kind of uh, returning, like making new headlines. Uh, I don't think we we had seen kind of a a big airdrop like this in in a while. Um, And it just like puts layer twos in in the forefront uh, again. Um, And uh, in this case, uh, Optimism, um, the scaling solution for Ethereum using optimistic rollups, they have been, uh, live for um, for a few months now, uh, they they kind of rolled out in in phases uh, with just uh, kind of this very s- simple um, like transfer mechanism, and recently they they uh, they included uh, computation to, to the platform, so um, it's it's being used by. Uh, Find more projects now, Um, and so with with increased use, uh, an an airdrop uh, makes sense to reward uh, users of of uh, their platform um, and also incentivize increased uh, use. So um, I think you know uh, interesting about this airdrop, um, it was you know retroactive, like like we've seen, um, like what's become become common so far. Uh, rewarding past users, but uh, something that's maybe a little bit different, it's like combining um, airdrops with uh, liquidity mining, maybe. Um, uh, this will be an ongoing airdrop. Uh, so they've airdropped past users, but they will continue airdropping OP tokens to uh, future user, users uh, of the uh, platform. Uh, going forward. So I believe they've dropped 5% of OP total supply and they have, a, well, where was it? I think it was like 15% or so of uh, of total supply um, uh, allocated for for kind of this airdrop, like for like the community um, using optimism. And so, you know, this points to what's next. Like uh, I think kind of uh, in in the horizon is potentially um, Arbitrum, is the other uh, Ethereum scaling solution that doesn't have a token, um, that people might kind of be wait, like speculating um, that they will uh, launch a token. In the end, it's like, for for all these projects without a token, uh, I think kind of the pressure becomes uh, large enough that uh, in the end, You know they they are kind of forced to give that uh, ownership and incentive to uh, to their communities, and um, that's what we're we're seeing uh, with optimism. Um, A final piece to to point out is this: there's this kind of um, innovation in uh, in governance as well. Uh, They they have this uh, something called like optimism collective, uh, which is a by a camera like like two groups within its governance system one is um controlled by by the optimism token the other one isn't uh, so you know th- that will be interesting to see how how that uh, develops like the the token uh, based governance uh, will control uh, some kind of pieces of operations and and then there will be a foundation controlling the other piece with the intention down the line of uh, fully decentralizing and dissolving this, the foundation, kind of like Ooh. how Maker uh, did. So, I don't know, a lot of pieces. <laughs> we, we continue seeing these kind of experiments in, in token distribution and, uh, and governance.
1: Ash, do, do, does anyone care about layer twos outside of the, the inner circle of Ethereum? From, from where you're sitting?
2: Well, you know, they care when gas prices become exorbitant and make transactions that would otherwise be interesting uh, economically infeasible. I think scaling is obviously a topic that we're going to hear more about, um, particularly as volume increases and, in fact, as the popularity uh, of Ethereum uh, and Ethereum-related protocols increase, uh, you're going to see the necessity of figuring out ways to scale it. Uh, in terms of the airdrops uh, and L2 solutions, I mean, it's kind of like chocolate and peanut butter. It's a little surprising that it took this long to come together. Uh, but clearly, I suspect this is going to be something we're going to see more of uh, in the future.
1: I've been keeping an eye out for like what makes sense of all of this. And weirdly enough, I think it's wallets. So I've been kind of interacting with these protocols. And it sucks. Like Metamask, basically, it's a horrible user experience, but we all use it because we're kind of just stuck there. And what I'm kind of becoming more aware of is better wallets out there. They're not perfect. So wallets like XdeFi and Rabby are starting to make the experience of interacting with other networks more pleasurable. I. You go to an Avalanche protocol and your wallet instantly switches to Avalanche. Other things like you sign a transaction, it will give you much more information about what it is you're signing. It'll translate the contract into something you can actually read. And actually, we're talking about greater transparency over what we're actually doing here. Yeah. I think the wallet is is the battleground for some kind of explosion in, in user experience, but also um, people being braver to try stuff out. Because... For the casual user, it just sucks. But when I look at what's possible on these other networks, there's just so much exciting stuff going on. Nobody apart from the big whales wants to go there. So when you track the whale wallets and see what they're doing, you go, this guy's making a fortune, but he's not doing anything particularly wild. He's just brave enough to go and try a different network. So I, I really feel like alongside these layer twos, we have to see a massive and rapid acceleration in the maturity of the wallet experience in general. And I'm really excited to see where that goes. I think someone's going to launch a fantastic wallet soon.
2: I just don't know who that is. Yeah. UI UX is a major constraint in the space. Uh, we talk about people like us who talk about it uh, and you know, the fact that we're involved in the space. But the reality is uh, there are lots of people out there in the world uh, who could uh, be interested in this if the, sim- the exp- experience was simpler, more intuitive, more direct, and frankly, just more friendly to the users.
1: Talk about optimism. I think it's good to end on one last little note. Cammy. what are you optimistic about for the weeks ahead?
0: Ah, wow. Um, Let's see. I'm optimistic. um, Well, I don't know if I'm optimistic about the crypto market. That's something I'm um, not very optimistic about. Uh, I am optimistic about just... uh, uh, Crypto innovation uh, continuing to happen in spite of uh, a very red and uh, down uh, market uh, as it always is. Um, I'm also optimistic about uh, the um, our our event at Colony that defines uh, headquarters in in Brooklyn in Dumbo uh, happening tomorrow. Uh, this is the second one uh, we've had uh, conversations at Colony, so uh, if you're in New York, uh, come join us. Uh, so it sh- should be a good. One we'll have uh, Tarun, Chitra, and Laura Shin uh, in in a panel with me.
1: Tarun is like, there's galaxy brain and there's galaxy brain. Tarun is just on another planet.
2: And he has the wildest Mm -hmm. hair as well. Amazing dude. Ash, what are you optimistic about? Uh, Robin, I'm really optimistic about pessimism. Uh, I think that we're going to continue to see uh, more exploits, more novel mechanisms, more novel categories uh, for exploits. Uh, We didn't get a chance to touch on Bored Apes, but probably an important story. uh, The fraudulent mint with Bored Apes, caused not by a flaw in the underlying code itself, but a flaw uh, or a hack, I should say, of their Instagram account. This sort of brings up uh, a challenge that we probably haven't discussed enough, which is the uh, ability for uh, hackers to exploit related ancillary platforms in the Web2 format uh, and to misrepresent uh, what's happening uh, in a decentralized platform, and therefore to exploit it. This is a challenge that I think we're going to continue to see going forward. Actually, you know, speaking of novel categories of exploits, uh, we've covered three, I guess, uh, here in the last uh, in the last uh, two shows. Uh, you know, number one, we talked about uh, the beanstalk exploit, which was a, a governance exploit. Uh, today, we talked about uh, the aku exploit, which in fact was a um, you know basically a burn mechanism, a break in the code, not a theft. Uh, and now we're talking about these. Web2 exploits, ancillary platform exploits that lead users uh, to do things uh, that they would not otherwise do, uh, though there is no inherent exploit in the code uh, or in the governance structure. This is going to take a long time to sort out, figuring out mechanisms and uh, practices that allow users to understand what's truly happening on the platform and what's not. Uh, It's going to be a challenge. We're going to continue to see more challenges. Doesn't mean I'm not optimistic uh, about this space in the long run. But I think we need to be realistic about the fact that we're probably going to have to fasten our seatbelts a bumpy ride ahead.
1: You know, the thing is, if you own, you know, a $300,000, $400,000 asset and you don't look after it properly, then that's on you. I think, really, if you own a board Ape and you're not, like, really geared into check Discord, check before you send, then you deserve to get wrecked, honestly. And that's a lesson you'll learn the hard way. But, yeah, you, need to, you needed to learn it. And that really gives me a chance to talk about the thing I'm optimistic about, which is the imminent launch of uh, the Bored Apes' other side, their metaverse. I had a chance to look into it properly this week. I think it's going to be phenomenal. It's a, it's a really fresh take on the metaverse. It's driven by storytelling. And it's going to, if they get it right, allow any NFT project to come and be a participant in this shared story creation. It's a big idea. I was massively skeptical about it, but I think I see where they're going with it. And I, I'm really excited about it in a way that I, I was not expecting to be. We'll deliver a video on Friday to explain why, but that is a fitting place to end it. Thank you so much for joining us, Ash. Thank you, Cammy, as always. And for those who are part of the Acu family, welcome. It's not over. It'll be a fun <laughs> ride to the moon. Thanks. See you next time.
2: What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to Real Vision Crypto. For more great crypto content like this, head over to realvision.com forward slash crypto and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.